Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Love Deeply. Now, the title actually carries a little bit deeper meaning than what you might see at first glance, because I realized when most of you saw that graphic, whether it was on social media this week or you just literally saw it for the first time, you were like, oh, we're doing a new series called Love Deeply. And you wouldn't be wrong because you could read it that way. But there's also a second way that we're kind of slid in there that we'd love for you to see and begin to interpret that. And that is that the series could also be called Loved Deeply. That that big old D right there in the middle could be connected to the word loved when to make it past tense. And, and so the reason I point that out from the beginning today is that that idea, this framework, lays the foundation for the series that we're going to walk through throughout the month of October over the next four Sundays together. Because here's the reality where we're going, is that we as a people, we have been loved deeply. We have been deeply loved. And as a result of that, there is a call, there is a command, there is a challenge on our life to now love deeply back in return. To first love God and then to begin to love others with that love. So excited to kick off a brand new series today um, under this theme of love. You know, love is one of the most powerful forces in history. I think we could agree with that. When love has been handled correctly, um, it's united people in marriage. It's brought strength to families and friendships. And it's also caused deep devotion towards great movements and organizations and causes in our history. However, when love has not been handled correctly, maybe it's when it's, uh, when it's been polluted by a number of things, it's destroyed marriages. It's broken families and friendships, and it's caused great disunity among people and movements and nations. Love is a powerful force in history. And over the next four weeks together, we're going to walk through a chapter in Scripture that really highlights the power and the importance of love in our life. So if you have a copy of Scripture, open up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Now, 1 John's going to be, if you got a hard copy of Scripture, almost towards the end of your Bible. Um, if you make it to Judah Revelation, you're driving too fast, turn around just a little bit. And 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going to hang out. Now, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, whether that's hard or digital, we'll put some verses on the screen behind us. But man, love for you to have that copy available right there for you to read. Um, the verses we'll put up on the screen will be from our NIV translation. Now, 1 John was the first of three letters written by a guy by the name of, cool, two of you. I know the rest of you, you were flipping. That's right. The rest of you, you were so deeply engaged trying to make sure you found 1 John 3. 1 John, believe it or not, was written by a guy by the name of John, all right? And uh, John also wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote Revelation that we read in our Life Journal reading a few weeks ago. Um, and in 1 John chapter, or 1 John, he is writing to some believers to assure them of their faith. He's like, man, hang in there. Like, your faith is strong. And he's also writing to um, and dispute some false teaching that had begun to rise up. But in 1 John, in just five chapters, he highlights or he makes reference to love 46 different times. That's more than any other book in the whole Bible. John's all about love. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on just one of the five chapters in 1 John um, over the next four weeks together, and that's going to be chapter three. Now today, tackling just the first six verses. And so if you got your copy of scripture, man, let's go together. We're going to read all six verses, and then we'll walk back through and begin to break them down uh, and apply them to our lives. 1 John chapter three, verse one says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 
And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Finally, verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, today in this passage, in those six verses, I want to pull out one big overarching truth. I'm going to go ahead and lay it out, and then we're going to break it down to apply it to our life, all right? And here's the central truth that I want us to all stand in today, is that lavish love demands a life of holiness. Lavish love demands a life of of holiness. Now, we're going to make a lot of sense out of that statement, but I want you to, if you're taking notes, write that down at the top of the page because everything's going to fall up underneath that umbrella. Um, verse 1 that we just read says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now, when I read the word lavish, for some reason, I think about food. Surprise. And I really think about dessert. Bigger surprise, okay? If you know me, or you know that I believe every meal comes with the dessert. Like if you are, if you're hosting a meal and you don't have dessert with that, you ain't doing it right. All right. You're not doing it right. No, here's the deal. Um, when I grew up, all right, at my, at my parents' house, like we, my mom was, she was kind of health conscious. All right. And so like, she had like the no carb, no sugar, no flavor, no all that. Okay. She had all that. Every once in a while we would get some of the good stuff at our house. But man, for me, I loved whenever a meal would be over, let's say supper was over, man, I would go over every once in a while, we'd have some cake. Like we get the cake, I always slid it in the back door. Mama didn't find out about it. But like we got to have some cake. And the only thing, like, let's be real. The only thing better than a big old piece of cake is what? Cake and ice cream, right? Ice cream and cake, dude, ice cream and cake. That's right. Man, that's the best. And so for me, man, I would get up from supper, go cut a big piece of cake, man, put some ice cream on top of it and bring it back to the table. Now, I told you, my mama, like, she had this radar that was out for, like, desserts. And she was like, uh-huh, that's a little bit too much. And if we came to the table and we had too much in the bowl, you would get called out, literally. Like, she would say something to you. And sometimes if you just had a whole lot in there, you might have to take some back. And that was just not a cool thing. So growing up, I know you're like, your mom's a stickler. Okay, it wasn't that bad. I'm just trying to paint the story, but follow with me. And so I would learn to dip just a little bit, like not over amount. And so I learned to dip that. Oh, but when I graduated and went to college, when I moved out and got married and bought my own groceries, oh, not only did we then get the Pop-Tarts with icing, okay, because we couldn't add that at home, but oh man, we would dip as much ice cream and cake as we wanted. And it was fantastic. See, I like to have ice cream with just a little bit of cake on the side, if you know what I'm talking about. And so here's my deal. Man, when I have a piece of cake, like I want to lavish on the ice cream. It is so much grander, but yet more meaningful way. Here's what John's saying to us. He says, man, God has lavished his love on us. Like when he thought about you, he was like, I'm not going to give him just, just a, a quarter of my love. He didn't think sparingly. He didn't worry about like, man, am I going to, I might run out. We got all these people. Man, God lavished his great love on us is what 1 John tells us. And lavish speaks of the manner in which God gave his love. But some of your translations may read that God bestowed his love on us. Also an important word because here's what bestowed means. Bestowed carries this meaning that it's a one-sided love. 
It's a one-sided gift. In other words, we were lavishly loved when we had given nothing back. We were lavishly loved when we didn't earn it. But that's the great love that God has given to us. And that lavish love we're going to see today, that lavish love demands, it calls us to a life of holiness. Now, Scripture goes on to say that this lavish love, not only did God just give it to us, but then it changed our identity. Did you see what it said? It says it calls us to be His children. Now, I think we're so churched. We've heard so many scripture verses and Bible stories and vacation Bible schools. Man, we hear that phrase and we're like, yep, God's children. That's awesome. Okay, all the little children of the world. Listen, there's so much significance in that phrase. There's so much meaning in what God is saying there because here's what scripture tells us. We went from enemies to children in a moment. In a moment when we least deserved it, God's lavish love brought us into his family. It would kind of be like, you know, when you go shopping at Walmart and you come across that kid that's just in the middle of the toy aisle throwing a temper tantrum, okay? Anybody encountered that kid before, all right? You know that you have. You just pray it ain't your kid, all right? Because if it is, then that's a whole nother story, all right? You ain't raising your hand on that one. But what happens in that moment when you encounter that kid, what's the default that you do when you're you're shopping at Walmart? You see that kid, you're like, "Uh uh-huh. You go the other way, and then you judge their parents, right? You got, don't act like y'all above that. Like, no, we don't never. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You, you post about it. I've read it, all right? I don't know whose kid that was up in the middle of the toy section, right? That's what we do. Okay, now I, I want you to flip the script. What if, what if in that moment of you encountering that kid, man, just laying on the floor in the middle of their deep rebellion, I mean, what if you went over to that kid and you walked over to them and then you picked them up and you embraced them and you said, man, I I want you to come and be mine and I want you to take my last name. Now, all creeper thoughts aside, some of you went there. Listen to me. Would that not be the most radical thing that you could do in that moment? Would that not be the most radical objective in that moment to take? In a moment where you wanted to run and hide, you instead pursue and you embrace, and you say, I want you to be mine. And Scripture says that's the depth of what God has done for us. That's the lavish love of God that he has brought to us. There was nothing desirable about us. There was no reciprocated love from our part. There was no great good we were bringing to the relationship, but God is a good dad. He pursued us, and he embraced us, and then he says, I want you to be mine. Here's what the gospel of John says. John chapter one, verse 12. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's the lavished love of God that he offers to us. Now, we can't read this verse and and miss this reality today that not everyone is a child of God. Okay, don't don't miss that today. Not everyone is a child of God. Child of God is not just this entitlement that you get by being born in America. Just because you walk into a church building or you once memorized a Bible verse or you pray 70% of the time before your meal, that doesn't make you a child of God. Scripture is, we'll see today, child of God That is what begins to happen when we surrender ourselves to him and we walk in continual obedience to him. The scripture says for those people who have found that grace and surrendered and walk in obedience, that you've been lavishly loved. You've been brought into a family, adopted into God's family. 
that is greater than anything that we could fathom. And this lavish love calls us to a life of holiness. The truth behind this love, this lavish love that we've got to get the picture of first, it requires a response to us today. We can't just hear it and go, that's amazing, that's awesome, so glad that's mine. No, there's a response out of that today. And lavish love, as we'll see today, it demands, it calls from us a life of holiness. Now go back to 1 John chapter 3, and let's read verses 2 and 3 again. It says, dear friends, now we are children of God, we covered that, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, in these two verses, we begin to see this response, right? Lavish love calls for a response. Here's the response of our lives. Verse 2 first tells us that as God's children, if you are in Christ, you're in a continual transformation process. When you step into salvation, into Christ's family, right, you, you are in his image, But can we just be real today? We don't really fully accurately reflect his image here on earth. But what scripture is telling us, what John is saying is that we are growing our reflection of Christ, but there's coming a day, we saw that, where we shall see him as he is. That's what he says. And on that day, there will be a total transformation of us, both physically and spiritually. And here's how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He says, for now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. But then in that moment, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Man, there's a great day coming that we cannot even fathom the greatness of it. For those who are in Christ, where we will not just sing about Christ, we will not just talk about him, we will not just read about him, but we will see him. And it will be a glorious day. And in that moment, John says, there'll be a transformation that is fully and complete in us. However, from verse 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, those who have this hope. In other words, those who can bank that that day's coming for me. It says, those should now aim to purify themselves just as he is pure. In other words, we don't wait for the day that Jesus comes back, that we see him as he is, to then start growing in Christ-likeness. There's a call, there's a challenge right now to grow in Christ-likeness, that lavish love demands a life of holiness. We could say it this way, holiness is our response to the hope that we've been given. Right? We just read that in verse 3, that there's a hope, those who hope in him, So although we can't reach full Christ-likeness here on earth, if you're redeemed by Christ, then it should become the goal, the everyday, moment-by-moment objective of your life to grow in Christ-likeness. Genesis 1 tells us that what happened? That we were created in his image. And then what happened? A page and a half later in your Bible, we ruin that with what? Sin. Sin ruined the image. And so now when we receive grace the new objective, the new mission of our life is grow back in that Christ-likeness. Now, this isn't a forced motive. Some of us were like, well, man, like God's just God and God's demanding God and he's all-powerful, but he's never gonna force you into obedience. He's not gonna force you to grow into Christ-likeness. Um, one commentator that I read it this week, he said it very bluntly this way. He said the Christian, the Christ follower, should long to be like Jesus 
But remember, God will never force a person to be like Jesus if he doesn't want to. That is what hell is for. People who don't want to be like Jesus. The sobering, eternal truth is this. God gives man what he really wants. If you really want to be like Jesus, it will show in your life now, and it will be a fact in eternity. If you don't really want to be like Jesus, it will also show in your life now, and it will also be a fact in eternity. See, church, although God is good, and he is merciful, and he is loving, and he is kind, he will never force you into obedience. He won't. He pursues, he lavishes, but he never forces himself on you. However, there is a call for anyone in the room today who would say, man, I have been lavishly loved by God. I've been forgiven by him. I'm new in him. I'm redeemed in him. There is a call on you and me that we would live a life of holiness. And here's what holiness means, to be set apart, that we would be different that we'd be set apart for him. Now, go back with me, verse four, and here's where this begins to really aim at our hearts. First John chapter three, verse four says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, John, here in verse four, he identifies sin at its most basic root. And here's basically how he defines sin. He says, it's a disregard for the law of God to disregard for the law of God. Um, My junior year in high school, I broke my right ankle playing in a basketball game for my school. And so they put me in kind of like one of those boot cast deals for, I don't remember, four to six weeks, gave me some crutches. And they were like, man, you got to, you know, stay on this uh, in order for it to heal. And so a a week or two after I broke my ankle, our our student ministry, our youth group at our church um, had this big event one afternoon. I was like, man, I really want to go. I want to be a part. So I talked to my mom and dad. and They're like, yeah, we think it's fine. You know, you may not be able to do everything, but go ahead. But the problem was they said, but neither one of us can take you. Now, I had my license at the moment, but I also had a boot on my right foot. And they said, that'd be fine for you to go. This is the first place we'll let you drive with your, you know, injury. And so I was like, cool, I can do that. And so I loaded up in my 1998 Ford Taurus, white on the outside, crimson on the inside. Come on. All right, side note. I got in my car. I threw my booted right ankle over in the passenger floorboard, and I took my left foot and put it on the pedals. Now, we made it, okay? Ten minutes away, no problems. Got there, had a good time. On the way home, about a quarter mile from my house, neighborhood street, last stop sign before the house. I pull up, make a stop, so I thought. Took off down the hill, and as soon as I take off down the hill toward my house, I look back up in the rearview mirror, and I realize I'm going to get the blue light special on the way home. And so I pulled over, officer pulled over behind me. He walks up to the window and he was like, sir, uh, you, didn't, you didn't really stop back there at that stop sign. Now, in that moment, I thought deeply about crying because I heard there was high school girls that could cry and get out of tickets. Some of you know who you are. But I realized that probably wasn't going to work for me in that moment. So I did what I thought was the next best thing to do in that moment. And I just pointed to my cast. <laughs> And so I began to tell him about what happened. I was like, man, it's the first place I've driven without my left foot. I'm so sorry. Please give me grace. And I don't know if he was just having a really good day or if he was just a really Jesus-loving dude. But he looked at me. He said, man, son, you need to be careful. All right? And he sent me on my way without a ticket. Now, yes, I did go home and tell my parents. I know some of you are like, did you tell them? Yeah, yes, I told them. I did. Now, listen to me. I was incredibly grateful that I didn't get a ticket in that moment. All right? But the truth is, 
I broke the law. Now, let's be real. It'd be so easy to look at it in that moment, kind of like I did sitting in the seat on the side of the road and think, oh, but man, like, like I got a broken ankle. This is the first place I've driven with my left foot. Come on, like I, I deserve a pass. This is hard to do, but it was just a rolling stop. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's, it should be all good. And it would be really easy to reason that. But here's the reality today. The law says that you come to a full and complete stop at the stop sign, and I didn't. I broke the law. And here's what verse 4 of 1 John 3 is pushing towards us today for us to consider. He's saying that, yes, everyone who sins breaks the law. In other words, sin is disregard for the law of God, which is ultimately disregard for the lawmaker, who is God. Church today, as hard as it may be, we have to be honest with ourselves and true to the word that sin stands in opposition to holiness in our life. Lavish love calls us to holiness, but the barrier to get there is the sin that lives and creeps and grows in our life. Sin stands in opposition to holiness. And the Greek word translated here for lawlessness carries with it this connotation of wickedness. And I know, like, we, we want to say, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, at least most of the time, but, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. But in that, in that mindset that we develop as a culture, as a people, we can't lose the fact that at our core, we're lawbreakers. Our default is sin. And author and theologian John Stott laid it out this way. He says, we often fail in the battle against sin because we won't call it for what it is. It's lawlessness. It's an offense against the great lawmaker, God. Instead, we say things like, well, if I've ever done anything wrong, maybe you prayed that before, or mistakes were made, but, and so forth. Call it for what it is, sin and lawlessness. The first step towards holy living is to recognize the true nature and wickedness of sin. And I realize today that probably sounds really strong in an accept all things society that we live in. But God is super clear in his word that sin is the barrier to holiness. And here's where we get in trouble. You with me? Here's where we get in so much trouble in our good little Bible Belt culture or even as a spiritual house where we begin to measure up and justify our sins against the sins of the world. Can we just agree that we live in a world that is cool with killing unborn babies and redefines marriage just because they want to? The world is not a good measuring stick for holiness. God says, be holy as I am holy. That I become the measuring stick of that pursuit of holiness in your life. You see, sin is disregarding God's law. And we have to see it that way and understand it that way because lavish love calls us to a life of holiness. It demands that we pursue it. Now, go with me to verse 5. And here's where hope begins to be injected into this passage. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says, But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's good news. And in him is no sin. John says, Jesus came on a rescue mission to defeat sin and to rescue you and me from the bondage of it so that we don't have to be captive anymore. 
In fact, before Jesus was even born, before he ever comes into the manger, the angel speaks these words about Jesus. Listen to how cool God is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Listen to these words from the angel. It says, she, meaning Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their, what does it say? Sins. Jesus came on a sin-defeating, sin-rescuing mission, and you and I were who he was after. And you see, it's only Jesus who has the power to defeat that sin battle in our life. He's the only one who can hold up the belt, the title of sinless. Therefore, he's the only one who has the power over it. Think about it. When you want to know how to take on something or figure something out, right, you go to someone who has that experience, who has that understanding, like a coach in sports, right, who wants to make it to the championship. They don't go to a coach who can't get his team to the playoffs and go, hey, tell me, how you doing it? No, they go to a coach who's been there, who has that experience, you know, has that knowledge. And in the same way, we often think that, hey, well, I've got the power to defeat it. I've got a lot of wisdom. I've been to church a good bit. I can take on that addiction, that anger, that language, that compromising of my purity, that negative attitude, whatever it is. We go, well, I can defeat it. But John is telling us here, we can't. However, there is one who can. And his name is Jesus. He's the only one who can defeat it. And because he was holy and without sin, verse 5 said, he was without it. Only a life that is rooted in him can be a life that's really pursuing holiness. And lavish love demands that we pursue a life of holiness. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. He took on our weight and our punishment so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, church, through the cross, Jesus took on the weight and punishment of sin. And through the grave, he defeated it and kicked it out the door. And Jesus is the only way to live a life of victory in holiness over sin. And then John gives us this one final reminder. And in it is this incredible challenge. Look back at verse 6. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, as you study the Bible, it is important to understand what Scripture means and what Scripture does not mean. And verse 6 is one of those pivotal places where you need to understand what it means and what it does not mean. Because John says, whoever lives in Christ, right, whoever calls themselves a Christ follower, says they've been redeemed by grace, does not sin. That's the language that John uses. But according to this verb tense here, when John says uses the phrase, does not sin, what he is indicating is that that person does not live a life of continual sin. That you would not live a life of continual sin. John is not indicating that we can achieve sinless perfection in life. There's some people who would use that verse to argue, well, then the Christians have to be perfect. We're not. We're not. John is not calling us to perfection. And listen to me, there's, there's a lot of freedom in that. Is there not? Like, Whoo, like I, I, some of you have been going to church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you're like, man, I thought perfection was the goal. You're not going to reach it. None of us. However, 
as we take that deep breath to realize, like, perfection's not the goal. We can't miss the challenge. We can't miss the reminder that there is a calling to continually grow in your personal holiness. There's a call in that, that the lavish love that we have received in Christ demands a life of holiness, which means, check this, which means a lifestyle of continual sin is inconsistent with someone who is abiding in Christ. A lifestyle of continual sin is inconsistent with someone who is growing and abiding in Christ. Or we could say it this way. The distinguishing mark of someone who is in Christ, the distinguishing mark of someone who is in Christ is not someone who is sinless, but it is someone who is sinning less. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to get that. The distinguishing mark of someone who is rooted in Christ is not someone who is sinless, but it is someone who is sinning less. On this earth, we will never become sinless. But if we claim to be changed by the love and the grace of Jesus, then we should be growing in such a way that we are sinning less, which means if you're still frequently battling on the same level, the same exact sin that you were five years ago, three years ago, 12 months ago, then you have to begin to ask yourself the question and be honest. Number one, am I really rooted in Christ? Number two, am I growing at all? Or does my life just look the same? Because the pursuit of holiness means that we begin to be changed and we begin to be set apart and we begin to be different, not that we're sinless, but that we're sinning less. And one of the greatest tragedies in and of the church and even in our spiritual family that's so great and growing here, here's one of the greatest tragedies that we would, that we would come to this gathering of this building once a week for an hour a week and we'd put on our church face and we'd sing our church songs and we would hear the truth of the word and then we would walk out of here and we would continually battle the same sins over and over and over. Can I just ask you an honest question? What makes us in that, in that what makes us different than the world that we live in? The fact that we come to a building one hour a week? God has called us to pursue holiness if we've been changed by the love of God. And holiness means that we would be what? Set apart. That we would begin to be different. But the problem for many of us is not that we have sin, but that we make this peace treaty with sin. And we just kind of wink at it being in our life. We sort of ignore it. We're like, man, it's not that big of a deal. And I've heard we say phrases like this. I've heard it. I mean, everybody has their own, you know, kind of sin battle that they fight. This is mine. And I'm, I'm sure God will be good with that. No, God's a God of holiness. And he gave his greatest gift so that you wouldn't lose the sin battle. And he says, be holy. Find this freedom that I offer. Be holy as I am holy. Here's what Romans 6 verse 1, Paul says it this way. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Then Paul answers his own question. By no means. No, we are those who have died to sin. Like that's the old us. How can we live in it any longer? And lavish love demands a life of holiness. But now for some of you, maybe as you're, you're wrestling with this, maybe you need to change the question that you're asking yourself. 
or that you're, you're fighting with. And the question no longer needs to be, hey, do you sin or do I sin or do I not? Because we all sin. We're all fallen. But the question, the greater question could be this. How do you react when you sin? How do you react when you sin? Does that thing creep up in your life and then, man, you fall into it and you're like, oh, man, I don't know, that's stronger than me. Well, and it begins to take over. Or are you quick to repent to God and to others? Are you quick to seek reconciliation? You see, I'm, I'm convinced that a person who is abiding in or walking in Christ is quick to identify sin in their life. They're, they're willing to call it out. And they're really quick to seek out repentance and forgiveness from God and from others. Like it's a healthy, normal practice. And for some of you, you haven't identified or named or repented of something in a long time. We're all lawbreakers. And we have to be quick to own it and to seek repentance and forgiveness for it because lavish love demands a life of holiness. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, shoot, I sin a lot. Like, and I, I rarely confess it. I rarely go seek forgiveness. Or when I do, like, I probably don't even do it right. Or maybe you're going, man, like, I've been, I've been battling this sin for months. Actually, no, it's probably years. So, so what, are you, what are you saying about me and my relationship with God? Like, is, it, is it even there? I think John, in the final phrase of our passage today, he gives us the answer. He gives us the reminder. Okay, look back with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. We understand what that means. That means they don't live the continual life of sin. They're not choosing the same thing over and over. But no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So stay with me. If someone who continues in sin, as that verse said, has not seen God, or known God, then we can begin to conclude that we can find victory in the battle with sin by seeing God and knowing God. In other words, a life of holiness is found in a life that continually sees God and knows God. Don't miss that. A life of holiness is found in someone who continually sees God and knows God. And I mean, seriously, for somebody, like, if you missed the whole last 30 minutes of me just blabbering, like, this may be it right here. If you write down anything, this may be it right here, okay? Because for some of you, man, you walk in, in a battle, and there's, just, there's such a barrier in your life between getting to this pursuit of holiness. Maybe it's something that a lot of people know about. Maybe it's something that you've kept hidden for a long time. But right, like, what I'm about to tell you, this is how God wants to bring freedom so that lavish love leads you to a life of holiness, okay? Look at what Jesus says, John 8, 31. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what does it say? So make sure you're paying attention. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, the more you know me, the truth, 
He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It will begin to bring you freedom in the battle over sin and for holiness. So as Christ followers today, if you're raising your hand going, yes, preacher, I'm a Christian. Okay, then listen to me. The greatest goal of our life is that we pursue holiness, that we see God and know God in every moment that we can. But let's be super practical today. How does that happen? I mean, like, you're a mom. You're a single parent. Like, you're, you got to go to work, a construction site tomorrow. You're a high school student. How do you see God and know God? How does that work for you? Okay, I want to give it to you literally as practically as I know how to communicate it, okay? So here's some ways that you can see God and know God. I think God gives us a ton of ways in his word, and even we as a church, man, throw out some different things for you to do. One is through scripture, okay? Through personal time in the word, through scripture. And as a church, we have this thing called a life journal reading plan. It'll tell you some passages to read every day. Maybe it's five minutes a day. Maybe it's 35 minutes a day, all right? I mean, get that reading plan. Get your own reading plan. Download the Bible app. Well, I just don't have a whole lot of time. It'll read to you. You don't even have that excuse anymore. It'll read it to you. And listen, here's what happens. Well, I don't understand it all. Yeah, but you begin to get some of it. You don't remember everything I tell you on Sunday. But I pray you just walk out with one thing and that thing begins to grow truth in your life in that pursuit of holiness and you see God and you know God through personal time in his word. Or what about this? Another way you see God and know God is by gathering with God's people. That's why we do this three times every single Sunday morning so that as many people as possible can see God and know God. But listen, we believe it's more important than just this big old gathering of all these people, but that you would also gather in a small group of people. We call them life groups. Well, but I don't know about that. That's different. Yeah, but listen to me. You could come into a Sunday and never know anybody. But you get in a group and, man, people begin to know you and love you and pray for you and care for you and you begin to care for them. And you begin to see God and know God in that, in that setting. Or what about prayer? You see God and know God through prayer. For some of you, that's a 30-minute block every morning. Bless you. Man, what an amazing gift you have. For some of you, that's 31-minute moments throughout the day but it gives you opportunities to see God and know God, pursue him. We see God and know God by serving other people. That's why we give you so many opportunities to serve our church, to serve our city, because it keeps reminding us this whole thing ain't about us. It's bigger than us. We see God and know God through worship. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, I'm not the singing kind. Well, I'm just telling you, maybe you haven't really understood the lavish love that's been poured out on you because it's gonna conjure up something in here that you've gotta express back to God. We see God and know God through surrendering ourselves to God daily, moment by moment, being obedient. Small ways and big ways that he prompts you. See, there's, that's just a few. There's a ton of ways that God says, see me, know me. And when you do, I bring freedom to the sin battle that's keeping you from living the life of holiness. Now, I love you so much. I want to take it even more just right directly to the point, Okay. And so here's what I want to do in the last few minutes we have is I want to take this truth of to see God and to know God helps us fight in this battle with sin that we're all in. And I want to like target just a specific sin. So I just picked one out as I was studying and writing. All right. And so I'm going to pick out the sin of cussing. Okay. This is a battle that like just, man, almost everybody fights, right? Like everybody, I got to let one slip every once in a while. And some of you, it's just like a sailor. Okay. Now listen to me. Our society has basically just kind of adopted that. Have we not? 
That's just how we range our movies now. Like this one has five words. This one has 40 words. This one has like, oh, we quit counting, okay? Like that's just how we do it. And we adopt it. We're like, it's not that big of a deal, man. Everybody does it. Like just don't do it around the women and kids. But even in this setting, you do it around the women because they do it too. And it's like, right, that's why that's how we handle it. Listen to me. God says that our words reflect the purity of our heart or not, okay? His words, not mine. So here we go. How do we take this idea of see God, know God, apply that to the fight of the sin battle with cussing, with language, okay? Here we go. We're going back to the same list. You ready? We do it with Scripture. Scripture. So what happens? As I read God's Word, well, I don't understand all of it. No, you won't, but you're going to understand some of it. There'll be Scripture that God uses and speaks out, like Ephesians 4.29. And maybe you read that, and it says, hey, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And you read that verse and you're like, man, I know I'm in this battle. Like it's real. And like God's speaking to me. I'm convicted. I'm identifying it. Now let's do something with it. And so maybe you write about that verse in your life journal notebook. And you're like, this is what God's saying today. I got to grow out of this. Or you write it down in an index card and you stick on the dashboard of your car, on your bathroom mirror, on your desk at work, or wherever that place is. Or Perhaps most powerfully, you memorize that thing and you put it in here so that when you walk into that moment, that environment, that job site, that locker room, wherever, it's just so easy to, man, just drop them four letters like it's nothing, man. Nobody bats an eye. But you know internally, like, that's not holiness. Then you have that truth in you or before you. And when you want to drop that four letter, Ephesians 4.29 just inserts itself in there. And you got truth and you go, man, that's not who I am anymore. And truth replaces the sin battle, okay? We fight it in other ways. We fight it through um, prayer. Maybe every morning or maybe every hour of the day, you have an ongoing conversation with God that sounds something like this. Man, God, I just need you to guard my mouth. God, I need you to protect my words. I'm about to, to go into the classroom. I'm about to go into the locker room. I'm about to go onto the job site. I'm about to enter into the relationship with that friend. We're going to have a conversation. And man, they just trip me up and it just flows. And so God, I'm saying, would you, like, I need your Holy Spirit. Where I'm weak, you got to be strong right now. Are you going to have a perfect track record? No, perfection isn't the goal. But we begin to sin less. Why? Because you called on a power that's greater than what you got. You've been losing it. Why not just try something else? We fight the sin battle with cursing through worship. Well, I don't like to sing. But listen to me. Here's some of the lyrics that we sing in this house right here. We sing, God, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. When you sing that, something should register in here and in here to go, I got a battle with my mouth, with my words. And so here's what I'm saying. God, I'm saying that's not a proper use of your breath. And so, God, would you do something in me? God, I'm going to declare this with my mouth maybe on Sunday so that you can begin to break something down in me from Monday through Friday. We combat that sin battle with men surrounding ourselves with God's people. You consistently make the gathering a priority, man, whether we feel like it or not. We're getting up. Why? Because we know that truth's going to be laid out, and we may not remember it all, but something's going to hit home, and we're in a battle. And then check this out. Then we gather with a smaller group of people. Maybe it's a one-on-one discipling relationship. Maybe it's a life group of people. And check this out. Listen, over time, here's what happens. Maybe you begin to grow authentic with those people. You're like, man, they really love me. They're really for me. And one time at group, like you go crazy and you're like, I got this battle. And I'm losing. Check it out. 
Maybe somebody else in the group goes, me too. And then you have the opportunity to go, let's fight this thing together. And maybe you meet once a week, text each other every day. Hey, how you do today? Man, I slipped up at work. It was hard. Man, boss came after me. And the other brother or other sister can encourage you and go, it's all right, man. Tomorrow's a new day. God's a God of grace, but man, stand strong. And we begin to surround ourselves with God's people. Listen to me, church. And as we begin to faithfully and obediently walk this thing out, the power of the grip of that sin in our life begins to loosen. Will it happen overnight? Probably not. Will it be gone in a week or a month? Maybe not fully. But a life of holiness is set apart. And God's given us the weapons to fight. You can apply that to any area of your life. Maybe for you it's not language. Maybe it's, man, purity in your sexual life. Maybe it's a battle with anger. Maybe it's an addiction that you fight. All the weapons have been laid out. So listen to me, church. Here's the, here's, here's the walkout today. No longer can we look at that sin, whatever it is for you, and go, not that big of a deal. God's a God of holiness, and he considers it a big deal. No longer can we go, man, like everybody else is doing it, like everybody else at the work, man, all my social media friends, even half my family. God's called you to be set apart, to be different. And no longer can you go, Psh, we're just giving in, man. Like I've been in it so long, like it's more powerful than me. Uh-uh. God's given you every single weapon you need to fight, and not just to fight, but to win. Church, the God of the universe has lavishly loved you. He pursued you when you were a rebellious kid throwing your temper tantrum in the middle of life. And he loved you and he said, I want you to be my child. And now, check this out, now, that lavish love commands and it challenges and it calls you and me to pursue a life of holiness. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.